Alright podcast, welcome back to another episode. Today I am um, virtually sitting down, this is just what I do now, I just virtually sit down, uh, but we're in the middle of the lockdown, so what else can we do? Um, I'm with Sam Ashdown today, she's an entrepreneur, um, obviously, and um, I, I mean it's hard to describe her because, well, you're going to find out when you listen, but uh, she's got an amazing story. Uh, first job was, uh, well, I say first job, first business was when she went to college, and uh, she ended up buying dog food from uh, the direct from the manufacturers and door knocking houses to sell it to the people who had pets. And I just think that's amazing. So, in fact, she did it on a scooter as well. Uh, so there's, there's no excuse for anybody. Anyway, Sam's a marketeer, digital marketer, content writer. Uh, and, and also a very successful estate agent, as, as it happens. But to her own admission, uh, she's she's a business and uh, marketeer first and, and estate agent second. So a fantastic story and very inspirational female stroke woman, stroke lady, stroke girl, uh, whatever's PC, stroke person. Uh, or if, if that offends you, then thing. Um, but listen, lockdown, listen in. Thanks for tuning in. Love to you all. Podcast number 11. Right, guys, we are rocking and rolling once again, and uh, thank you very much for listening. I've got a really uh, special person. I'm gonna I'm gonna call her special. Um, she's not only she, the first female um, that I've got on this podcast, um, but a very uh, a very inspirational person, very clever person. Um, and uh, she's looking at me like, really? Is this what you, <laughs> this what you think of me? Yeah, but um, no more female guests on your on your podcast. No, you're you're the first of many. I've got many, many lined up. Don't you worry about that, Sam. But I had to make sure that the first female was an absolute rock and roll star because I'm going to set the bar very high. Um, actually, I didn't realize that I had no females on it. Somebody mentioned it to me, A, my wife, and she said, you've got to get more ladies on there. And, of course, I thought, why the hell have I not got you on? So without further ado, um, if I can just hand over to Sam. Have you ever been called Samantha? Were you christened Samantha? Is I that by my mother. In fact, uh, christen samantha hyphen jane j-a-y-n-e which causes me all kinds of problems at airports with passports and visas and you know honestly i've got no middle name i've got a very long first name but so fine so we'll keep it short and simple so you've 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 just heard a little snippet there she's uh she's not shy of talking that's for sure let me hand over to sam sam give us a little bit of an intro as to who you are what you do and then we'll kick it off from there all right, so my name is Sam Ashdown. I've got several businesses, all to do with property and marketing, and a good mix of the two. Um, from a long line of entrepreneurs, my parents had very uh, varied businesses, so I've always worked to have my own business. And then I went for it properly in 2004, set up a business called Home Foods, and now we're on business number seven without relinquishing any of the other six. So we still have all those other businesses, and we're adding to them at the rate of more than one a year at the moment. So it's a bit crazy. Is that is that on, is that on purpose? Um, I always wanted to create something bigger than me and film my business partner, who happens to be my son-in-law, which makes for lots of other gals. Uh, the two of us are really good at starting businesses. Uh, we're not very good at things like the admin and the uh, the organisation. So we'll just keep doing what we're good at doing. And if we can create something that's bigger and we can bring in bigger and bigger teams, then yeah, I think I don't think either was particularly motivated by money in and of itself. It's more the idea of creating this worth in this business. Um, 
And actually, I was talking to a friend the other day and she was asking me about what my pension provision was. And I went, pension? <laughs> I'm not giving somebody some money to give me it back in, you know, 30 years time. It's not worth anything. I create my own financial future. So my pension is my businesses. Okay. And have you ever sold any businesses or? I have. Yeah. I, it's funny enough, it was a franchise business. I haven't really wanted to get rid of any of my own businesses, but I bought... My my mum was quite ill and she had a little bit of money and I thought, right, what can we do? We'll buy her a job by buying her a franchise. <laughs> I don't know where my mind was. So I went and bought a cleaning franchise. It was about 20 grand. It wasn't it wasn't that much. Um, created a job for her that she was absolutely terrible at. So after about two years, I gave up and we sold it and we sold it for 30. And I thought, oh, this this is quite good. I quite like this. And it, it was a part-time business. Uh, but it was a franchise, it was a franchise cleaning business. And one thing yeah. I did realize was I hated people phoning me with complaints. I mean, who would like that, right? But when you've got a cleaning business, you never get a nice call ever. ever. Yeah, I can imagine. So let me just go back. So where are you from originally? Kendall in Cumbria. Oh, really? You see, I, I know that that's where your business is based. Uh, or not, not not in Kendall, but in Windermere, aren't you? Yeah. yeah. The, Lake District, the Lake District, yeah. Um, I, but for some reason, I just kind of hoped that you weren't from there and that you moved there. But Because I just think those people that are from that type of area just – I don't don't do this in the wrong way, but I just think, oh God, you're bloody lucky, aren't you, to have yeah. been brought up? I mean, look, you could be brought up. You could have been brought up on the streets in the Lake District. Just being from the That's Lake very, District, the gutter, yeah. the yeah, the the, the gutter. Well, actually, when I did my family tree, my granddad, whose surname was Ashdown, I I took. Um, he was originally from the, where the Ashdown Forest is. That's where the name comes from. Right. And they'd gone up, either I think it was his dad had gone up on a coal boat, you know, taking coal to Newcastle. And yeah. so that name ended up, um, I can't remember exactly what the port is by, by the Ashdown Forest, but the, the, he'd been going up on the boats and then he stayed in Newcastle. And then my grandfather and his sister loved the Lake District for walking and they were part of the Ramblers Association. So they used to come across and walk all the time. And then he met his wife here, and that's why we now, you know, live in the lake. Settled, Southern. Wow. Right. Okay. Well, you were lucky to be born there. And you said at the beginning of this that you're from a long line of entrepreneurs. Yeah. So wh where did that start? What was it? Was it your dad's um, dad or yeah, mostly retail, actually. But okay. my dad was a serial entrepreneur. I would say my my their his his parents, my grandparents, were probably retailers rather than entrepreneurs. They didn't have right. lots. Of mad businesses my dad had lots of bad, mad businesses when he was 21 he started something called the butty factory um which was in this little squalid flat it probably was not hygienic at all and he used to make sandwiches, sandwiches. for right. uh motorway service areas okay. and that was probably his first ever business he also had his own in fact the reason he's that my parents got married in the first place was because they couldn't get the lease on a cafe if they weren't married they were 18 and 19 years old so he proposed to her so they got married, so they got the lease, and that's where yeah. I was. Yeah, looking back, going, yeah, the only reason I, I married you was so we can get that lease. That sounds like that type of story. <laughs> my life, saying that, to my mom. Yeah, yeah, so, but, yeah. So, so do you think? Uh, sorry, so, so did, was was it your was it your parents that I don't want to say pushed you into being an entrepreneur? Did they influence you in entrepreneur, or was it the way around? Did you see them being entrepreneurs and think, I, I want? Where, where did the motivation for you come from? I think my mum would have been happy if I'd been a professional of some kind because she probably wouldn't have, she's not around anymore, but she wouldn't have considered my job as a profession. Although she, I think she'd probably be quite happy I was an estate agent now. 
but the entrepreneurial journey has got lots of bumps in the road, hasn't it? And I think she wanted me to go and be, I don't know, fancy lawyer or something in a nice office with a nice suit. Cause that's kind of, it was her definition of success. Cause that was her mum's definition of success. Yeah. Whereas my dad's definition of success was creating your own life, creating your own lifestyle. And he was a fantastic business guy. You know, he, he taught me so much about business that I still use today and every day. And so he was probably my bigger motivator out of the, out of the two. Uh, but her, it's funny, her dad had two cobbler's shops in Kendall and he was exempt from the war, my granddad, because he was making uh, soldiers boots. And, but she used to go around saying he was something else, like a doctor or a dentist, because she was embarrassed he was a cobbler. Oh, that's a shame. So he obviously didn't consider he was any kind of entrepreneur or business person. I think, I think I'd rather lie and say that my dad is a cobbler if, if he was a doctor. I'm like, oh yeah, but that's a cobbler. He's crazy. You don't want to see him. You don't want to meet him. Um, so, okay. So, uh, when, when did you first get into uh, entrepreneurship? Let's call it. It's weird. That, it's weird that you call yourself an estate agent now, because obviously I know you because um, you 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 help me and my business partner in terms of our business and what we do. So I, I kind of, even though you run an extremely successful estate agency in the Lake District, I don't see you as an estate agent. Weirdly enough. I see it was like a, a marketeer. So Andrew, where did, where did... I, in fact, I took an offer on a house the other day that was accepted and the buyer said, uh, what do I do now? And I said, I have no idea. <laughs> I have no idea. But luckily we have people that know what, what you do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ask Phil. I'm out of it. Ask Phil, yeah. Phil, Phil doesn't know. <laughs> no. Well, I definitely don't. I'm the last person to ask. So I'm definitely an entrepreneur first and the state agent yeah. is quite a long way down the list. Fair enough. So where, where, where did it, where did you kickstart it? Where did it start? So I went to, uh, I went away to college when I was 17 and um, I was looking for a job, part-time job, because my, I got a grant in those days, 35 pounds a week and my digs were 35 pounds a week. So I thought I was hard done by. <laughs> and that was all, all food included, by the way, because I'm from the Stone Age. And my, um, and I said to my dad, I'm going to find a, a job in a bar. And he goes, well, just start your own business. And I went, well, what should I do? And he said, Find something that people, because in, in those days, there was no such thing as online shopping, of course. There's not even the internet. So he said, find something that people don't like carrying back from the shops and sell that to them door to door. So he, one choice was potatoes. <laughs> and the second choice was pet food, because we thought pet food is quite heavy. You need quite a lot of it every week when you've got, you know, especially when you've got one more pet. So we had, the, there was a company called Webox that did those sausage-shaped dog and cat. Oh, yeah. yeah. With the little ties at the end disgusting stuff yeah. and they happened to have their headquarters where I was at college which was Lincoln and um so I went to see them and I worked out there was about 30 pence profit on every unit so I just went knocking on doors and I said do you have a cat or a dog and if it was a no I was off and if they had they said yes I said do you want to try some dog and cat food delivered to your door and I built up a round and it was earning me on a good week it was earning me 60 to 100 pounds a week profit given that my digs were only 35 I was in the money and I tried to sell it at the end, but I was greedy because I, I didn't want to go back home having not sold it, but I didn't want to give up my income. So I tried to sell it in the last month of college and it wasn't long enough to sell it. So I just had to leave it. I mean, I just, I, I just can't comprehend. I mean, I've heard of, I've heard of some amazing, uh, like sort of like, no, I don't want to say rags to riches, but like stories of like the entrepreneur and I started a paper round, I got this paper round, but no, you, you, you were selling dog, dog, dog food, door to door. 
And it wasn't easy. And it was in the middle of winter and I was 17 and I was, you know, a young girl. Oh, and I didn't drive. I had a moped. So I could only carry enough dog food that my little box on my moped and handlebar, you know, carrier bags really safely. They used to have to go back for a second lot to my digs. I just don't understand what anyone's excuse is. If you if you went around on a moped selling dog food door to door, then what is anybody's excuse in life to not <laughs> to not make a living? Uh, okay, so 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 what happened? What happened then? What happened after that? Because that, uh, that did that get your juices flowing? Uh, yeah, and I like the psychology behind it. So, for example, if I'd go and and so usually they would tell me what they wanted each week and I would just go and then I would deliver it and take the money on the door. If they weren't in, I'd leave them the dog food. And then next week I'd go back and I'd try and get the money off them. And then what I realized is the more dog food I left and didn't see them, the more I could charge them for. So they couldn't change their order, couldn't you know reduce their order. It was there, so they had to pay for it. So it was a bit of psychology going on there and I quite liked that. Um, but then, so you just went, went on one door, knocked on the door. They weren't in, so you just unloaded, yeah, unloaded <laughs> everything. <laughs> Five weeks worth, and came back next week. I, I was okay. kind of going on saying a return, and I realised that you know it's got to make it easy for people to buy and difficult for them to say no. That's yeah. what I was going to learn, I suppose. So yeah, I learned, I learned quite a lot there. And then my dad had a very odd business. So my dad, um, so this goes back to about 1980. Um, we lived down in um, East, East Anglia and I used to go roller skating every Saturday morning with my sister, uh, a roller rink, you know, going round and round with like these yeah, yeah. things on. Um, and then one week, my dad had to take us. I don't know why my mum wasn't taking us. And my dad had to take us. And when we got there, he said, what, what are all these people? And I said, it's the queue to get in skating and I hope we get in because they've only got a limited number of skates. And he just went ching, ching. And he must have been about 30 years old. And he went, right, I'm going to leave my job and I'm going to start a mobile roller skating rink. I mean, who thinks that? Who thinks what? that? So I, mean, I, I, thought, that. I mean, I thought for a minute you were going to say, so what you decided to do was just to get ice pops and sell the ice pops down the line. We got but, idea. Yeah, but, but, but he did a mobile Yeah, and it was a really good idea because at the time, in the early 80s, schools were just begin, being um, beginning to be given budgets from the government you know and there's different schools like academies and all the rest of it and they'll just started to be in charge of their own budgets and so they're drawing this money from the government and having and having to go straight into wages and everything they started to get a budget that could allocate and so because of that they were allowed to start fundraising themselves which they've never been able to before this was in the early 80s and at the same time skating roller skating was just made cool. yeah it was like indoor disc roller disc disco skating. as well yeah, yeah. it's very cool yeah. so the two things came together and he thought right i'm going to start a business called skating for schools and <laughs> and we we're going to split all the proceeds with the school so he spent all the money on and we went to ici to innovate to get the floor made because everybody wanted a floor laying down and 300 pairs of skates and we split it into two vans and two units for the bigger schools and he'd go into the school for the day and the kids would do it during the day as part of their PE lesson. And in the evening, there'd be a roller disco. And at the end of the day, we'd go, right, we've made a thousand pounds. There's 500 pounds for the school and 500 pounds for us. And the schools thought it was wonderful. They'd book him once a term. And he had all these repeat bookings. And then in the holidays, and this is why I'm in Windermere, we used to come to this, a school in Windermere for every Easter holiday, Whitsuntide holiday, the May half term, and the summer holidays, and then the, the October half term as well. And he used to just rent, rent the sports hall and that's where I met all my friends so during the early 80s 
I was brilliant at roller skating. Uh, <laughs> I had a dad that was a DJ, so he was super cool because we had the disco there. Yeah. I had lads, lads, boys queuing up to go out with me because whoever was my boyfriend at the time got free skating. Yeah, and he's like, oh yeah, it's, it's, oh yeah, I got with Sam, you know, Sam oh, with the, with, Sam with the roller with the roller disco. Yeah, yeah. So I had the best 1980s of anybody I know, and I met my husband there as well. Oh wow! So your husband was from Windermere. Windermere. Yeah. Mm, yeah. Very posh. So, uh, did you work for your dad at the time, or were you just yeah. sort of like? I worked for after, after college. I worked with him for a, a few years. Um, so you, you weren't just to, you weren't just sort of tossing it off on the dance floor, uh, skating I around. I was in. <laughs> I was trying to show off, and uh, yeah, yeah. We, we clashed terribly because oh, the best thing I remember from it was we used to have to go out really early in the morning, like five o'clock, to get to I don't know Leeds for eight or whatever. And then we'd come back, at, we'd finish at nine or 10 and get back for midnight. It was really long days. And I was only, uh, it was just before I went to college, actually 16. And then again, when I came out of college when I was 18, um, I did it for about a year each time. And, and but he'd give me these amazing business lessons on the way there and on the way back. And he'd tell me all these business ideas he had. And yeah. he, he had a, a complete photographic memory so he could remember like famous people's bios and stuff like that. And we just had amazing conversations. And so did you, after you went to college, did you, was your dad business still going? Did you come back and yeah. get involved in that? We bought it in the end. My husband and I, my kid's dad, bought the, the business and ran the business for a few years as well. But it was dying because it was turning into street skating, which is on uh, inline skates. And so you don't, you don't use inline skates indoors. You only use inline skates outdoors. So it was dying. It's coming back. It's coming back now. Now I think it would do well again. I think I've seen, I've seen it on... Uh... On like uh, I don't know what they call it in America, that like Miami Beach. I've seen yeah. them. It's very cool and trendy, isn't it? Sort of oh, like, yeah. yeah. I, I honestly think that I'd go arse over to it if I put those four you wheels on. Would. You probably no, would. You probably would. My my sister's friend, because my sister was good at skating as well. Her friend came out to see her in La Manga, where she's got an apartment, and mm -hmm. the two of them skated along the prom. Within five minutes, her best friend had fallen over and broken a hip. Oh. And nice. uh, she's been like one of the cool skaters back then. She obviously thought she'd still do the move, but. Amazing, right? So, okay, so you've had a little taste of it. You bought the business off your dad. Yeah. It wasn't yeah. doing. It, it started to sort of tail off, which is fine because that happens in, uh, yeah. in in. So, was that was that a, what, what? How did that feel for you as a as a as a business owner, entrepreneur, as the business was fading and you could see that happening? Did you lose your spark for it a little bit? I how were you? Looking? And also because it's been my dad's business, I never really felt we could innovate. You know, we struggled to innovate. Anything we tried didn't seem to work because it's very entrenched in that direction. It was hard to innovate in that business, really. Um, and my dad had started innovating in a different way. He started to import skates and supply them to leisure centers. And that was, to some extent, cannibalizing our business as well. So we decided just to, just to stop. It was fine. Um, and then my mum died and left me and my sister some money. And my little sister, my baby sister, wanted to be a photographer. She was only 17 at the time. So she bought a photography course and a camera. And we started our own photography business. Um, so we ran that because we lived in a lovely house in the country. It was really lovely. She lived with us as well. She had nowhere to go at 17. And we um, we were the, probably the first photographers that were, that were doing, that were offering shoots to families outside in the countryside. Because it was all very studio. Every photography, you know, studio was when you sat on the bench in a row and, you know, the background. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. It was all the same I kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, don't get me wrong. I've got some brilliant uh, pictures of me as a kid in those uh, sort of family photos, but God, I just wouldn't 
dream of doing it now. But yeah. Well, the funny thing is, I had actually done it a few years before in between skating lark, and I'd taken a photograph of a young boy who was about two called Phil Jones. And I had not realized until I went to Phil Jones's 21st birthday party. And there was a picture. As in Phil, as in Phil Jones, as in, as in our Phil Jones. As in your business partner. Yes. And son-in-law. Him when he was a baby with his brother and sister. And um, can you remember sort of like what was his hair was any so better naughty. than what it is now? His hair was dreadful and he was really naughty. He wore yeah. really cool glasses and he would not sit still. What's changed, eh? Nothing. nothing. Absolutely nothing. So for, 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 for the benefit of the listeners, um, Phil Jones has been on these podcasts. <laughs> so all you got to do is just rewind a couple of podcasts and uh, you'll listen to who we're talking about. Um, so, okay. So, so, so that was your little sister. So whilst you, you were, yeah. so did you and your husband at the time get involved yeah. in that business? Yeah. So the he three of you were doing husband. that. He was a, he was a joiner and um, he right. was actually a, a kitchen fitter. So he went into that and, Self-employed, but employed, if so to mean, self-employed contractor. So he didn't yeah. really have the ambition I did. And eventually, that that eventually we went our separate ways. Okay. Um, I had three kids under uh, 10 at that time and decided it was a good idea to move to Manchester and start my own property business, as you do, with no money. Um, I had four months' salary, although it was Kendall's salary and not Manchester salary, I realised afterwards, in the bank. So I had four months to make it work. I moved in January. I had enough money till April, and then that was it. I was going to be bankrupt and looking for a job. What property business did you have in mind? I didn't even know what it was. I didn't know. <laughs> I, didn't know. I knew I wanted to sell advice about property, but I had no idea what the advice uh, okay. would be. So a bit of a con from a consultancy perspective? Is that consultancy, yeah, but I didn't know who my clients were going to be. I think I thought I was going to go into sourcing at first, sourcing investment property. But there was a bit of a boom and then everybody got into it and then it, there just wasn't enough money to go around really. So I moved into consumer consultancy and started a business called Home Truths, which is where my advice website comes from. And so, that's from, that's from a, this is interesting because this is from a, the other end of the spectrum, isn't it? Yeah. This is from a buyer, a homeowner, somebody wanting mm. to move on. It's advice for them. Yeah. So I did that for years, um, offering consultancy to people who couldn't sell the house. And it tended to be people that were in a house that was probably a million or more. So they're quite affluent, but they've been unable to sell through conventional means and they wanted a selling consultant to help them. So I did that for a while and it became so successful, I ended up with a network of 12 consultants working with me and for me and an office and staff and all the rest of it. And then, do you know what? It's funny, isn't it? The tiniest little things can be massive things in a business. And our business, because we, we weren't generating website traffic, not enough to be able to you know, capitalize on it with lead generation. Hmm. Um, we were using direct mail and I was spending 10,000 pound a month on direct mail and the price of a stamp went up from um, 17p to 34p. And it, it basically put us out of business. It was actually, the margin was our profit. Jeez, that, it's, it's doubled, isn't it? So if you're spending 10 grand a month, you're spending 20 and that's 20 a month. That's a lot. And so the 10 grand a month that was the difference was our profit every month. So we just couldn't afford to let it go. And at the time I was going through a divorce, which was my second divorce if you're counting. And, uh, and I was living in Surrey at the time. So I closed the office, got rid of the consultants and the staff and thought, right, I need to go back to basics. And I thought, who needs me right now? This was back 2011. I thought estate agents actually, they're trying to build their business out after the crash. They don't understand what consumers want because they're not listening to the consumers because they're too busy trying to recover their businesses. So I can teach them what consult what consumers want, and I can teach them how to attract new consumers, new vendors. 
and that's what I did. And so you kind of fell into. I'm sorry, don't even fall into. You kind of you 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 made your way into sort of marketing. I pivoted, yeah, because I'd been pivoted. marketing properties, but I'd not been marketing businesses. But I'd had my own businesses, so I knew I could do it. Mm. I just wasn't sure exactly how it's going to work, and I started off consulting. And then within two years, I turned it into a group coaching business. And then I was doing private coaching and it kind of built from there. And then it was in 2017, so three years ago, it was Phil that said to me, why don't we open an estate agency? And it's something I toyed with for a long time because the biggest pushback you're going to get as a consultant is you don't know what it's like to run an estate agency. And the biggest problem as a consultant and coach was me telling somebody, do this and it'll work and them not believing me. Mm. So two things came together. I mean, there's nothing worse than trying to sell to an estate agent. <laughs> I mean, there isn't. I mean, I, I really feel, I feel I feel sorry for people who try and like ring and pitch their idea because we have like, got the biggest blocker up in the world. But to, but doesn't that mean that you've maybe got a bit of a? Because that's the way I look at you is that actually you you're looking at it from a different angle, and that is that not from an estate agency angle. So mm. suppose, but now you've got the best of both worlds. You're a marketing yeah. come estate agent. Yeah. So uh, people who've started a state agency first and gone into consultancy and coaching, I don't think are as effective as if you started off as a coach consultant and then proved proved your ideas in the estate agency. Mm. So can we just coming back to sort of like entrepreneur and business wise? So you've 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 met, you've met Phil, who well actually you met Phil because he's now married to your daughter. Yeah. Actually, I want to talk very quickly about that because I mentioned they, they what I'm interested in is what makes successful entrepreneurs tick do they have routines do they read books do they go on self-learning but i'm also interested to see what their upbringings are like so you've mentioned you're in you're in an entrepreneurial sort of uh, life if you like yeah. and so that was like within your blood and and some people aren't from that perspective what's your what is your interpret not your interpretation but what's your thought process on your kids because you mentioned you've got three kids mm. so I, uh, what do they do? I mean, I know the answer to this question, but what do they do and where does that come from? Well, they all own their own businesses. Shock, <laughs> bloody horror. But in fairness, actually, they are three different personalities. So yeah. Paddy, who owns a gardening business, he's my eldest. He's very happy-go-lucky. He kind of wanted to buy himself a job because he's lazy, okay. right? Not because he's particularly driven. He likes money and he likes freedom um, and he probably likes his freedom more than his money. Whereas Molly um, wanted a lifestyle business. She's a children's photographer. So she wanted to do something she loved and try and make a little bit of money out of doing it. So she's not money driven at all. Um, and she just wanted a bit of a part-time income that she could fit around the kids. So that was her kind of drive. Tess, I think is much more like me. So she runs a marketing consultancy as well. So she's just, she's just getting off the ground now. It's funny because she went to university to do health and social care and realized straight away, nope. So now she, she's got a really good instinct for marketing. She does Instagram consultancy and that kind of stuff. And I think she'll, she, although she is money motivated, I think she's growth motivated more than the other two. So I think that even though they've all got their own businesses, I think people's um, motivation comes from different places in them. Yeah, yeah. I, I want to create, and I think Tess probably wants to create, uh, whereas I don't think the other two do. They're, they're in the business, you know, their businesses for different reasons. So when they were growing up, all three of them individually, were you, were you, what was your thought process? Were you thinking, I want these guys to run yeah. businesses? Yeah, <laughs> you were. I'm not okay. lie, yeah. Just, just be honest about it. Tessa's second year in uni, I just had it, had it out with her one day. I said, look, you're not enjoying it. I said, it would be cheaper for me to pay you a full-time wage 
and buy you a car than it is to keep you doing a uni degree you don't want. So she left. <laughs> I was gonna say, <laughs> I was gonna say, three weeks later, she joined the business. She did. <laughs> she, she did. did. Right, so, and so she got. She, I mean, obviously, uh, she got a little, a little insight into business because she did work mm -hmm. for AJ, didn't she, yeah. for a little bit? Um, okay, so uh, I'm growing up though. If I can, just quickly, two, things, two things. Actually, one is I always used to tell the kids, even though I was single and I didn't have any money, I used to say, "One day we'll be rich, and um, you know, one day it will happen. One day we'll have enough money to do all these things you want to do." And I was uh, taking them to school one day, and Tess, who was about four, maybe maybe five actually, and she said, "Mom." When are we going to be rich? Because I'm waiting and <laughs> waiting. <laughs> oh, gosh. And I'm and now, well. What did she say to you now? Oh, look at us no, now, Mum. <laughs> <laughs> and then the second thing I was going to tell you was, um, because, I, I, because I have always been very entrepreneurial, and I did want to put some entrepreneurial spirit in them in case they wanted to use that. And I feel it does come from the, from the parents. Um, uh, we had this idea, this business idea, which we used to call Little League. And the idea was that it was going to be when they're all grown up, we all have a business. And it was basically uh, like a resort and shopping center for kids. <laughs> it's a stupid idea. Never made any money, but everything was kid size. That was the idea. It was like a fantasy world. Uh -huh. so, so because I was separate from their dad and we used to have to go up and down the motorway every other weekend, you know, hours and hours. All we did was talk about Little League all the way in the car. So we'd all plan it. And then Tess would go, like, we'd have a, you know, swimming pool that the adults weren't allowed in. And we'd try and work out the problems of that, the adults not being allowed in, you know, with kids. And, like, you know, could the kids have their own money? And it was a really, you know, it was quite a, a family kind of thing to get involved in. It was so I see. So that's like a, it kind of gets their um, imagination going. But at the same yeah. time, you're kind of solving business problems. It's ah. like a game. It's just like a right. game. I'm going to write this down. Little league. So yeah. when my when my three boys are yeah. the car, there's right. a team after it. All right. <laughs> yeah. Here we go. She's franchising already. She's selling, <laughs> she's selling to me. Can't go. Can't go. Bloody conversation. Um, so okay. So where does what does it look like now? What does what does your current business affairs look like now? So it's a group of companies now. And we want to keep it like that. We want to expand each company and take the best people out of each company to grow those companies. Um, it's I'm getting to the age now, obviously in my early 30s. Early 30s, I'm going to say, yeah. yeah. Um, youngest grand, grandmother on earth. Uh, I'm getting to the age now where I'm thinking, right, what do I want to do with the next chapter of my life? And, you know, Phil, my son-in-law and business partner, is only 28. So he's at a different time in his life. And I don't necessarily want to just keep going on a hamster wheel for the next 10 years I want to do something I really want to do so I've got a passion project I would like to kick off um but it does mean me extricating myself from at least two of the other businesses so that's what I'm going to be concentrating on in the next year really it's a long-term project and process but do you um obviously you you were sort of entrepreneur on yourself and you were making all the decisions on your own and everything like that so what's what's the dynamic like with with you and Phil did you think that you were going to have a business partner moving forward and do you think it's a good idea for do you think it's a good idea for people to do the same? Well, that's a good question, but it, it it's impossible to answer because it depends on the personalities, isn't it? And I never thought I'd have a business partner. In fact, my dad warned me off having a business partner ever. Um, but he didn't he, he never met Phil, so he probably would have warned me even more. Um, <laughs> but so I, I probably he probably got much more stick than I did when we first went into business together, because you don't go into business with your mother in law, do you? That sounds like a disaster when it happened. Yeah. Was with his son-in-law doesn't sound as bad, but it's been fantastic actually. And I think that when family businesses work, they work amazingly. I think there's lots of 
obstacles in the way. Um, you've got to have a really, it's almost like a marriage. You've really, like you and Chris, I'm sure, you've really got to have mutual respect for each other's decision-making. Mm-hmm. And when something really matters to one of you, the other one just has to compromise. They just mm-hmm. have to. It's very rare we, we butt heads on something that we cannot move forward on. Usually I say, do you know what? I think you care about this more than me or whatever. So we move yeah. on the basis. Yeah. So you, you dodged that question there as to, do you think it's a good idea for people to have business partners I know you say it's about individuals, but, you know, is it good for a business to grow? Do you think, for example, I'm looking at certain businesses. Okay, I didn't want, I I never want these uh, conversations to be about a state agency, but let's just use a state agency as an example. You look at some of the big successful ones like Manning, Stainton, Lindley and Simpson, Preston, Baker. There's often more than one involved. So, you know, Eeps and Baxter. So, do Ashton Jones. It, it, um, never mind if it's a stage or anything else. Do you think um, getting someone on who's maybe a different type of person than you are, so you can kind of sense and check each other, is a good idea for a business to scale and grow, or is it genuinely individually? I think in theory, yes. In practice, what I've found uh, because I've coached thousands of businesses over the last sixteen years, and I found that most partnerships do not last. Um. That's not to say that partnerships are wrong. It's just to say that I think businesses evolve in different ways. And I think the organic growth sometimes, a bit like marriages, most marriages don't last, right? Mm. Like 60% of marriages don't last or something like that. It's probably more like 80% of partnerships don't last, I think. If you look at most successful people like uh, Bill Gates, Steve Jobs, Richard Branson, at one point or, or another in the past, they've had a business partner and then they have not anymore. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Um so you, you've got you, you're talking about you're doing your passion projects. Phil's doing this, that, and the other. Um, just coming back to give me something a little bit juicy, right? What would you say has been one of your biggest? Uh, I don't want to say I don't want to say regret, but let's not not regret, but within your business career, what has mm-hmm. been a really difficult low moment in terms of a bit from a business perspective so you might say when the, when the recession hit and everything went to shit and i was living in a one-bed flat what was hard for you and how did you manage to spearhead yourself out of it well at my lowest ever point i was in that four-month period that i talked about before that i didn't have any money at all and um i think i had 10 pounds and we had no food for the weekend and my daughter tess I thought I can just get a buy with £10. I can just, you know, beans on toast and all the rest of it. My, my daughter came home and one of the bottom of her shoes from school had come off completely. And I couldn't even afford glue to glue it back on again. That was probably my lowest point as an entrepreneur. And I probably thought, what the hell am I trying to do? Why don't I just go and get a job? Why don't I just go and get a job and just, you know, be a responsible adult to my, to my kids? Um, but I didn't. And I got through it. And... You know, now I look back at that and I think, well, that's the lowest I could go. Um, it got a lot better from then on. I think, I think to some extent, you've got to hit rock bottom first. I think that's why, and that's why I was going. I, I wasn't. I'm not trying to create a negative atmosphere for anybody mm-hmm. listening. But I think the reason I'm saying that is what I've read, listened to, heard, mm-hmm. and spoken to about successful people is they have they've experienced the sort of rocky roads of entrepreneur but those sort of difficult times you then learn you do learn to appreciate certain things and focus i mean richard branson at one point i, I was i listened to his book uh, losing my virginity and yeah. he's he's got at, at the point that virgin records is like the biggest 
selling record company in Europe. He's still living in a houseboat, paying himself like 30 grand a year. But he had the experience yeah. of, 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 yeah. The, of, the, of the magazine that he had. And he had no money coming in. And that's why I think it's very important to have that because sometimes you look at a, a business or, or an entrepreneur and, you know, they've got a beautiful property in the Lake District with these amazing views. And they go out for restaurants every day for breakfast <laughs> and for lunch. And, and they go for beautiful walks. And life looks fantastic. The things that have propelled me, the, they're no different from the things that propel the people, just in different perspectives, that's all. So, you know, my, uh, my mum was an alcoholic and I had to nurse her an awful lot in the last few years. Um, my dad disowned me seven years before he died um, and that he didn't, wouldn't speak to me and any of the family. Um, you know, I, uh, my uh, first husband committed suicide. So these things have all propelled me. And when he committed suicide, that also then propelled his three children because his three children had to find a way to deal with all those emotions that are going on mm. uh, without crumbling, you know, and, and finding some strength in their own selves and their own lives. And now if you said to them, you know, if they get a parking ticket on their car, they don't care. Yeah. What, you know, the, the worst thing that could ever have happened to them has already happened. It happened. Nothing, nothing worse can happen really, yeah. well, within reason. So yeah. when you come back from that kind of brink, you think, actually, I am strong. It's like people who have just done a marathon or people who have, you know, run around the world or cycled across America or whatever it is. When you've achieved that, everything seems possible. Yeah, I mean, it is. Um, I think I, 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 we were watching. Uh, me and my wife were watching something on TV last night. I mentioned this to you before, and it was just about somebody who would who had been through a similar situation. It was uh, actually his mum had committed suicide, and 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 this somebody once said this to me a long time ago, and I always I always take this into consideration is that. You, you always think that there's a problem happening, where it might be, whether you, you get a ticket on your car or something. But there's something somebody once said is, where you might have a problem, um, you will never want to walk a mile in someone else's shoes. Mm -hmm. And I think that's something that's really interesting to always think about. When when we had the two twins and they weren't sleeping, and, and at one point we were both up at like 3 o'clock in the morning, both had work the next day, the twins were screaming, Kim was really upset. And I remember it was really hard for us to not argue about this because it was probably the wrong time to say it. But I did say, you know what, somebody would be looking through our window and would kill for what we've got. Yeah just having children, yeah. having a house and a roof over here. So I think putting things into perspective is right, but 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 actually people could use that as a bit of a crutch. Like, I, I don't want to be disrespectful and say, oh, the woe is me, because I totally mm -hmm. understand that that's, that's really tough for people to appreciate. And I've never been and had that loss, but you, you can go one of two ways, can't you? You can either use it to say, right, nothing worse can happen, yeah. or you can say, right, that's the end of, of my life. Okay, look, Sam. Life. It definitely is. Yeah, I think that's amazing. And you know what? I think I, I, I'm, I'm sure there'll be lots of people who could probably empathize and understand with that and maybe even find some inspiration from it and say, look, what can I do now? Because life, life's long, but life's also short. <clears throat> I, that's the way I look at it. I think it's long and short. I, there's a, the, way, the, reason I think, the reason I think it's long is because I think that if I, even if I get to the age of 50 and I haven't, and I'm not living in a million pound house with, with five Porsches, which is what I really want, then I still think I've got loads of time to do it. But I also yeah. think that life is too short to sort of dwell on the past or dwell on the negatives, if you like. But that's well, just... It's up to you. It's up to you what you carry forward. And if you're going to carry, you know, a lot of burdens for, it's going to slow your progress. It's as simple mm -hmm. as that. Definitely. Right. Let, let's get to some fads because I think this is really interesting because lots of people find inspiration from people, right? Talk about routines and books and 
pod, podcast. There's only one podcast to listen Probably to around yeah. here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh, start with the routine. Have you got um have you got a daily routine other than walking George? Yes. Um, so I get up about six, quarter past six, um, have a little chat with my I've got a virtual assistant in the Philippines, so I have a little chat with her. Normally get up about half seven and go for a run down by the lake. I know I'm very lucky. Um <clears throat> and then I'm I'm back in the house at half eight, showered, nice breakfast, and then I start work about nine, half nine. Um and then I work until about seven o'clock. And at the moment, I'm walking back home to my house because I've recently moved to about a mile away from the office. So I walk across the fields, which is lovely, with the little lambs frolicking and the lake glistening. And yeah, it's awful, awful. Um, I might not do it in the winter, though. So that's my routine. But yeah, I think one of, one of my most important parts of my routine is, apart from the running, which I think once I've done that, I've got it out of the way for the day. But in the reading, I'm an absolutely voracious reader. I don't know. I've never met anybody that reads more than me. But I'd like to. And, and has, has that been a part of your life forever? Yeah, forever. Yeah. <clears throat> I don't know where I put it into my mind, but I think because my mum my mom was going to buy me a horse, and I, I you know, prayed for a horse every day for three years or something, and she eventually, when I was uh, nine, bought me a horse. And alongside it, she bought me a book called The Manual of Horsemanship right, that looked like it had been written in about 1842, and I read it cover to cover and learned how to look after my horse from it. And so from that, I thought, right, you read a book, you learn how to do something. And that was just guiding me through life. That's it. Everything you need to know is in a book. Mm, that's interesting. Or Google. Or Mr. Google, yeah. <laughs> or Google. My, 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 Dr. Googling, because he's got a big blister where he hurt his hand yesterday. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, by, by the way, just for, for everybody, uh, everybody's benefit from a health and safety perspective, if you if you don't already know this, don't put a metal cup in the microwave with soup in it. Um, or anything because, Well, yeah, but don't put a metal cup in the microwave. <laughs> um, uh, and that, that, I, mean, I know that sounds like I'm giving advice to children. Mm -hmm. uh, it's microwave might, 101, isn't it? It is. It has to be, yeah. But if, if you are a 28-year-old uh, family man and business owner, then don't, don't do it. Don't do it, people. Um, so that, those are your routines. Um, before I move on to the books, because this is a question that I ask everybody, um, but this isn't a question I ask everybody, but the books is, you, I know I know that you are an incredible, well, I don't know you're an incredible worker, but it looks like you're an incredible worker because um, you, you, you end up producing an immense amount of content and, and, and marketing and, and whenever I'm asking you for any pieces of advice, it's there. You've got videos and bloody blogs and a lot of it already stored up in your MacBook or whatever. So what's your motivation on a day and, and, and your routine from a work perspective? Do you, do you, and by the way, I know you're going to answer this, but some people like lists and they go through and do this, this and this. Mm. How, what's your motivation on a Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Friday, wherever it might be? I do like this. I do probably differentiate between operational time and creative time. I think that's probably quite an important factor for me because I don't consider my creative time to be work. Yeah. So uh, as you know, Andrew, I've been over to Norway and Scandinavia, Denmark and Iceland just to do some writing, just to get my head out of my business and do some writing because that's what I love to do. And that spans for me the business and personal because I love it so much it feels personal, but it actually benefits my business. So if I go away and I think, right, Andrew's been asking about this in his business, how could we fix this? And I think, actually, if we visualized it like, you know, the spokes on the wheel, and I wonder what I could create out of that. And so I'm trying to think of your problem and apply a solution that we can then maybe systemize, that we can use in our own businesses as well. 
because every problem is just another opportunity. Yeah, that's true. I was listening to, I was listening, I was actually watching a video that you'd put together for uh, advice on uh, how to successfully run some ad campaigns on Facebook. Mm -hmm. And it started with, hello from Norway. <laughs> so uh, I, so well, I actually... I was doing it. I remember I was looking yeah. out the window and then, do you yeah. know what, about two hours after I finished that, the northern lights were outside my window. It was amazing. I was in Tromso, which is the furthest city north in the whole of the world. Oh, wow. You should have said that on the bloody video. No, I was thinking to myself, what the hell is she doing in Norway doing videos for Facebook ads? And, uh, but that was, even mm -hmm. that on its own was quite inspiring. But I thought that mm -hmm. is actually Sam Ashdown all over. She's probably sat down and gone, right, I'm going to do this video. <laughs> but you stalled it up. And look, I mean, I don't know when it was you did it, but it's come out of the woodworks again. And you can has, yes. it. Oh, yeah. yeah. Content, so, what, what, what advice would you, I know this is a really sort of bloody cheesy question, but what advice would you give to, um, to anybody who's thinking about, I'm not talking about a business owner who's got a business and they've got the foundations and they're running and you give, but somebody who's perhaps really wanting to start a business, maybe has an idea. What, what advice would you give to anybody like that? Read, 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 read. And that is the bit, best bit of advice I'd give anybody. And it's the bit of advice that will probably be ignored the most. It doesn't have to be literally reading, it could be listening, consuming, learning. So it should be learn really. But, um, you know, not every reader is a successful person, but every successful person is a reader. Every, everyone. So read. Okay. Well, I mean, I, I, I've said this before. I'll say it again. I've never successfully read a book in my life, um, ever. Um, have you successfully read? What, have you unsuccessfully read some books? I've, well, when you're a kid, you, have, you, you go to school, don't you? You do English literature. But in my, we did the, the, the exam we had on was of mice and men. And this is how, this is just typical. I mean, this is typical Andrew. Typical Andrew Baxter is having twins, right? Typical Andrew Baxter is having penciled notes inside his English literature book, right? So if, if the exam board are going to be listening to this, then I didn't cheat, right? You didn't I didn't need to read it, and it didn't. To be honest with you, I don't even say I've got any GCSEs. It doesn't really matter, does it? But I didn't read it. I can't read it. My, my attention span for reading is very, very low. But I, and I listen to books, and I think honestly, I'm not just saying this. I'm not necessarily crediting mm -hmm. you and or Phil, but it was about the time that we engaged with with you guys that I started to sort of go in on aud audio books, and I've and I've and I've and I've smashed quite a few. I did Richard Branson's Losing My Virginity in two days. I did Duncan Bannatine's in, in about a day. Um, <laughs> literally, Lady Bed listening to. So um, I've just uh, run past, by the way, Duncan Bannatine's lodge down at the lake, which is the first ever lodge to have ever been sold in the lake strip for a million pound, and the last actually. You kidding? And does he still own it? Um, I don't think he does. He bought it for his son. He said you can have a chalet in Chamonix, or you oh. can have a lodge on the lake, and he chose a lodge on the lake. Oh, I don't know which. I, I don't know which I'd prefer. I mean, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, his, his friends over more. I think. I'm a skier. Don't get me wrong, but now I've got the three kids. I, I'm I'm scared about when I'm taking skiing, but that, that's a different story. Um, so okay, your piece of advice is reading. So on that note, don't overthink it because I've asked you this question before. I remember asking Sam a question. Sam, give me some. Give me give me your top three books. And you went, um, what is it you want to try and understand? Yeah, yeah. What for? And I went, no, well, you wouldn't. That's why. Yeah. No, and then I went, well, maybe something around this. You went, well, okay. But if you're going to go there, where do you go? And I was like, fuck me. I'm, you're giving me my own answer here. I was, it ended up being Gary Vaynerchuk crush it. And I, I could have told you that. But <laughs> without overthinking it, just literally on the top of your head, what's your sort of best top, let's say, three books, predominantly non-fictional, 
um, what would be your top three books? I don't really read fiction, if I'm honest. Yeah, yeah. But I don't want you to say, oh, Alice in Wonderland yeah. was a lovely book, you know. So. No, 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 no. Um, I love, um, oh, God. It's really hard, isn't it? Because it, it will change every day that I answer. Because so, it's all about the purpose. And I know you said don't overthink it. I know. All right, all right I'll, I'll come to it. Right, anything by Malcolm Gladwell. Right, so Tipping Point was probably his first and, and seminal book. That's a really good book. It's all about how things, and actually pandemics, go from no people having it to everybody having it. And what's that tipping point look like? So that's a really good one. Um, I won't give you one that Phil has, uh, has given um, on every podcast he's done. So let me stay away from that one. Um, yeah, the Gary V books, actually. Uh, Crush It, Crushing It, and Jab, 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 Right Hook. Those three. Uh, fantastic book because you're very much a you're very much a i don't even think you're a right hooker to be honest but you're very much a jabber you give a lot of i just think jabbing yeah and eventually the right comes back it does yeah. Yeah, yeah i do a lot of jabbing um and then i'm actually reading well no i've just read the obstacle is the way by ryan holiday that i think that is a really fantastic book that is an iconic book as well it will go down the history of that book the obstacle is the way and it's about <clears throat> finding your way um, to use the obstacle rather than try and avoid the obstacle, if that makes sense. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you another one, only because I'm reading it right now and I'm really loving it, which is it's about Navy SEALs. Called, it's called Jocko Willink, and it's called Extreme Ownership. And that is something I believe in 100%, taking 100% ownership for everything that happens to you, everything that happens to you. Nothing is outside your control. You have twins because you decided to have children and you put the risk that you might have twins, right? You, you've got... And you married somebody and one of you has got the twin gene. That's just yeah. the way it is. Yeah. So that's not outside your control. It was, you know, you didn't have to have kids. So everything that happens to you is, is within your control. So this is something I say to my clients, you know, you've got to just suck it up. Just put your big boy pants on and suck it up. That's, I, I, I totally agree. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm hearing that more and more and, and taking responsibility and ownership, I think is very difficult for people to do, especially for business owners. I think business owners are quite proud or let's say, I don't mean to be disrespectful, certainly for me as an inexperienced business owner, it'd be easy for me to look and go, oh God, I'll tell you what, we're having a bad month, but the market's poor. <laughs> you know, ultimately, you can blame the market, but actually, if 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 in my market there are eleven other competitors and they're all selling or getting instructed on houses, even though that might be less than what I'm getting, well, there's still there's still money out there that I'm leaving on the table. Yeah, of course. Know? And like, so Tilly, my assistant, who we all know and love, um, sometimes makes little mistakes, as you know, and she made a little mistake the other day, and I did actually shout at her for probably the first time in a year. And, and then afterwards, I thought, yeah, but whose responsibility is it? It's mine. If mm. she doesn't understand something, if she assumes something, what have I done wrong in that process? Because I'm the business owner. She's my employee. It's my responsibility, ultimately. I can't imagine you shouting at anyone, like, in that way. I did honest. have a little moment, yeah. Well, it, I raised my voice a little tiny bit. But sometimes some, uh, something like that coming from somebody who potentially is not a shouter, I think it, more of an impact. That's what it is. Well, have you, have you, look, just going back to the book thing really quickly, because I'm interested. Have you got a book that you look back on and think that was the yes. reason why yeah. I, I yeah. went like this? Yeah. And actually, book. there was a little story about it as well, because I read a book the year, the year after I started my business thing called Duct Tape Marketing. Duct as in duct tape, you know? Yeah. Duct. I never know what's called duct tape or duct tape, but anyway, the brand's called duct tape and the thing's called duct tape. Yeah. 
Uh, the black kid- tape that's really strong, that one. Yeah, the silver yeah. thing, yeah, that you yeah. kidnap yeah. the things, yeah. Yeah, yeah, or if you're kinky. But, yeah. be, well, I wouldn't know about that. <laughs> so it's by a guy called John Jance, and it, I read the book, it changed my life. Um, absolutely amazing book on marketing, very, very basic, no internet, no social media. The, the most basic book you can, you can buy on marketing, but fantastic. And then a few years later, in 2011 or 12, um, I saw that he was speaking on the stage at Social Media Marketing World in San Diego, and I thought, I've got to go and see this guy. He's, he's inspired me fantastically. So I went to meet him. I tweeted him first, and he remembered me when I got there, and we had a little chat. And then um, a year later, I went back to Social Media Marketing World, and he was there, and he took me out for dinner. And he said, I want to put you in my next book because I really like everything you're doing. And so we brought a book out called Took Tape Selling. And I have got a paragraph in that book. And now I can honestly call him a friend. I've been on his podcast. We have chats on the phone. It's just it's been a little love story. If he wasn't married with three kids and a load of grandchildren, it's a little love story. It's a marketing love story. Oh, so that's called Duct Tape Marketing and Duct Tape Selling. And what's he called? Yeah. Is John Jance, J-A-N-T-S-C-H. And anything by him is incredible. And, and yeah. everything. Yeah. So um, at this point, I usually... Oh, let me just ask you a quick one. Um, How many times have you moved out? 47. How many books do I read a week? Three. How many books have I got in my possession? Nearly 2,000 on marketing. <laughs> anything well, else? I told you she could talk. Um, how, many, how many houses... How many, hang on, because this was an interesting one. No, not how many houses do you own? But do you do you live in the house that you own? No, I don't believe in owning your own house. But because I'm an estate agent, I don't tell people that publicly. <laughs> Everyone's entitled to their own opinion, aren't they? It's just, I think, that, I, it's just that your opinion's wrong. Obviously, obviously. I think if you're going to buy a house yeah. so that you're going to live in, chances are that's 99% emotion and 1%, you know, any kind of, um, well, yeah, any kind of what's the word for intelligence? <laughs> <laughs> it's not, it's not going to be a sound financial decision unless you stay there for more than 10 years. We all know that, right? Yeah. Um, but that's not why people buy houses to live in, and I completely get that. But I choose not to buy a house to live in, I choose to rent my house all kinds of you know financial reasons. Uh, but because I'm not really as emotionally invested in my house, emotionally investing yourself in your house can cost you a lot of money. Mm. Interesting. Interesting. Save that one for another time, Sam. You should um you should write a book on that. Um you do write I'm gonna put myself out of business. Nobody buy a house. Well, you should, what you should do is you should sabotage your whole legacy when you go. Well, not when you go, when you're like ready to retire. Like you like Bill Gates is giving like all his money away to charity yeah. and he's like, right, at the end of this, I'm just gonna say, right, fuck it, I've done what I'm happy with. At the very end of it, you should say, Good luck, Phil, because I'm just publishing this book on the day for retirement. <laughs> Actually, can right. I say we've just published a book? Although oh, it's not actually on the bookshelves yet. It will be in about a month called The Selective Estate Agent, which is how we Selected. Selected. And is that around um is that around what building an estate agent that people select? It's around um being selective in business and choosing the clients you want to work with. Interesting. So along along a similar mantra as oversubscribed? Exactly right. Ah, interesting. Which is a book that I got recommended by a certain somebody. Goes by the initials S A. Um, uh, I, I, I think Phil Phil recommend that one because it changes give, mindset. 
Don't give Phil any credibility. Okay. It's fine. Sam. You okay. deserve everything. Okay. Um, there was something that I just wanted to say before we cut this podcast off. Who's your favorite client? Uh, Chris Heaps. <laughs> <laughs> right. We and Chris are going to talk about our renewal. If that's the case. <laughs> Um, no, I want to say, listen, thank you very much for coming on the podcast. Um, this is a this is a, a slightly, I'd say, I don't know, I don't want to say slightly different podcast, but I feel like with some of my other podcasts that I've done, the, the people that I've been speaking with, I, I, I know of them or, or know them, and I've been, I've not known them in a long time, whereas I, I were only speaking to you the other day about something, pieces of advice you've given me for business. So this, for me, has flowed very easily, but I also found it very interesting to, to hear about your story and, and about what you've had to go through to get to where you are. So I hope anybody who's listening can appreciate that. But where, where if somebody wants to sort of follow Sam now, and Sam's yeah. journey, because you, how can we do? Because a lot of the time people document the days and the lives. Where's mm -hmm. your most, where's your go-to social media for people to That's follow you? Question, because I did actually start off a Sam Ashdown as a sort of a brand, Facebook, and I haven't done anything with it, I'll be honest. Now I can see people following it and they're not, they're not following anything. There's nothing on there. So I would just say, just connect with me on Facebook because you're, Alex. You're, you're quite happy doing that, aren't you? I am very happy to accept random people. When I get up to five thousand friends, I'll be in trouble because that's when they cut you off. Yeah, and what about an Instagram? You've got an Instagram page, but you, you keep your Facebook page mostly up to date, don't you? I mean, daily. Daily up to date. Whereas Instagram, yeah. I think I haven't visited for about three months. Yeah. So okay, and I, you're, 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 you do feature on some of Phil's Instagram. So let's plug Phil again. Follow Phil Jones's Instagram now and again if you want. It's FW hyphen PJ or something. Yeah. Phil Jones FW. Phil Jones FW. Firewave. That's it. Firewave. Yeah. yeah. Oh, you knew. You know. Um, otherwise, check out. Uh, I mean, to be honest, if you just put Sam Ashdown into Google, there is God. bloody. There is oh, bloody. Guy on flipping Tinder yesterday. Um, I sent him my WhatsApp and he must have Googled me because he blocked me immediately. <laughs> second, person, oh. second guy to have googled me and then blocked me what does that say so now everybody's going to want to go and google me you, you listen you might find it you might find you you, you might find a fella out of this sam you might find a fella okay. out of this you might like have a look. and you're solvent and you're 25 to 60 and you <laughs> like dogs give me a call <laughs> <laughs> google sam ashdown you'll see plenty of videos you've got some amazing content out there but actually i said this earlier on i don't really see even though sam runs a very successful estate agency with phil i, I think what sam the, the 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 advice that sam gives for content creation digital marketing even to the likes of the mind of copy and the psychology of writing copy, it is absolutely not just around being an estate agent. I think you can apply most of that to anything. So um, if you can be bothered, I definitely think you should look into some of the stuff that Sam gives because content is everywhere from Sam Ashdown. Um, but listen, I want to say thank you very much. I really appreciate you coming on today. My pleasure, Andrew. It's been fun. And uh, yeah, it has been fun, actually. No idea you're going to ask me, but um, it's gone well. No, you didn't. And I didn't really, to be honest, I didn't. I mean, you actually asked yourself questions on this podcast. That is a first. That's a first for me. Um, but listen, uh, thank you very much, Sam. Uh, stay safe. We're still in the coronavirus bloody situation. But um, stay safe and make sure you stay two meters away from Phil, because if he hasn't got coronavirus, he might have boiling hot tomato soup. Well, that's, that's much more dangerous from Phil. You yeah, you don't want that on it. So thanks again. See you soon. Bye. Well, I absolutely loved this convo. I'm not going to lie. Uh, great woman. 
in business. And uh, for anybody who's interested in uh, finding out about Sam's trick, not even tricks, just about Sam's sort of like advice, it is absolutely phenomenal. The amount of free content she gives um, and like proper good content is just unbelievable. So make sure you follow her if you're interested in marketing your business. Uh, or marketing yourself, whatever it might be, whatever suits your needs. Um, Thanks for listening once again to the podcast. Really appreciate all the love and support. Stay tuned. Listen out for the next one. Drop it real soon. Drop it like it's hot.